The soul of summer in Columbus. The long weekends, the return of festivals, the connection with friends on a rooftop under the stars. The just five more minutes while on an adventure with your tiny travelers. Long live summer and the exploration of Columbus's neighborhoods. Discover itineraries from your favorite Columbus residents like Jenny Britton and Coyote Peterson and learn how to make this summer one to remember. Plan every detail every minute of summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash liveforward. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. Welcome back to the Razzball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz, here for another week. This is a big one this week. We have the Yankees, the New York Yankees, the damn Yankees farm system to go through. This is a really fun one. I don't think uh, just about anybody goes as deep as the Yankees do. Maybe the Padres, and we're going to be getting to them in a couple of weeks. But Lance, hey, how are you, my man? I'm doing how you well. doing, buddy? Doing very well. Yeah, this is an unbelievably deep system. Uh, one of the ones that I probably didn't realize how deep until i started digging in and then you just see the depth and it's the upside too it's so it's it's a nice like we did the twins last week and that one was like super volatile this one has like some of that volatility with a bit of floor mixed in and that's what i think i like the most about it this is definitely one of like the top three systems in baseball easily i'd say oh there's so much here to dig into we have 20 guys it's gonna take like four years to do Well, and I think one of the things about the Yankees, too, that's kind of funny, just already diving into the, the organization, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess, a little bit as a whole. But I feel like they just churn out pen arms. Like oh, there's absolutely. so many guys Chad Green, that are really yeah. talented pen arms. Even guys that, have, that were on the team two or three years ago, you sort of forget. We're like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, they came to the Yankees farm system and, I'm, and they're escaping me right now. But there's so many of them throughout the league. And they sort of have a lot of these guys deeper into the system you know, if we had three hours to dive into like 40 of the prospects, they have that 
guys that are sort of interesting that could have major league futures. So I think it's really interesting. It's a testament to how good the scouting is in the New York Yankees and how much money they put into scouting. Um, and the other part of it, and I've talked to a few people about this, Jim Callis, who I spoke with last night from uh-huh. MLB Pipeline. Um, yeah, and then the other guy that brought it up was, uh, I guess it's an MLB thing, is uh, is, is Mike Petriello. Mm-hmm. And how much the Yankees sort of put into um, looking to like, you know, advanced metrics and really, you know, advanced scouting techniques and, and you know, looking at the stat cast numbers and that sort of thing. Um, when it comes to scouting prospects. And I think that some of the, we'll get into some of the guys that they actually mentioned specifically, one in particular, a pitcher that uh, Jim got into last night. So mm. kind of interesting. I feel like I have uh, a lot of firsthand knowledge now <laughs> to, to talk to. So no, I love uh, it. I'm going to speak on that. Did they mention anything about the international side with, with uh, the Yankees? Because that's one thing that stood out to me is how many of these guys are J2 that are like top 10 on their list. Like this is a deep system and they're getting 2017 J2 guys July 2nd for anyone that doesn't know international signing date. They have a bunch of those guys like right in the thick of things. Whereas a lot of other teams, I feel like those J2 signings are like, yeah, they're okay and they fall outside the top 10. But like a system this deep, having guys near that top 10 range is, is super, super impressive to me. Did they mention that at all? No, Lance. I mean, please. Uh, who do you think I am? I save my international <laughs> questions for Babbler. That's true. Of you are of the, the I talk OG. About Babbler with international. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Mr. Like Gabriel Arias like over it, here. <laughs> yeah, I like to keep it very specific with the guy. You know, the guys that I talk about. I find I find the niche market for each, and then I consult <laughs> with them on each. You know, or they consult with me. Maybe I should say. So, yeah, it's been a, a fun year of them on the fan track side. So I've had some mm-hmm. firsthand conversations I can bring over to this, which is my, my baby, my brainchild. And, you know, our thing here, which is, uh, our intimate conversations about prospects. So anything you want to talk about from the the last week, spring training updates, anything like that? I saw an interesting home run or a a taken away home run ground, ground rule double from, uh, Alex Verdugo. And man, he just looks like a major leaguer at the plate. I I don't think he's ever going to necessarily like a like a superstar the next two years fantasy wise i think maybe he you know as he gets bigger and stronger and sort of develops um a little bit more power to potentially mm-hmm. but he hit a, a rocket to uh maybe like a slightly into like like left center and uh it was grabbed by a fan like it would have been a home run probably but the fan reached over the fence and grabbed it so it was Those a ground fans. rolled up unfortunately, but he got a great, he got a, you know, great contact on it from the left side. And, and I love the kid's stroke. And, and, uh, that's the thing I like about all these games. For some reason, I've been getting nothing but Dodgers games. The other one I saw today is I saw, I saw Frank Schwindel hit, uh, two home runs. Who's like a (laughs) journeyman quad a, you know, uh, first base guy, but I don't know, maybe he ends up with Hosmer now in San Diego. Maybe he sneaks into, uh, relevancy and plays a little first base for uh, the Royals this year, but the wind was blowing out like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you catch that I don't know. It was pretty funny. I, yeah. I know a lot of the D backs guys are hitting really well. I saw something about Yosemite Tomas has like four home runs and his like OPS is over a thousand and it's like, Oh, he goes to chase field with the humidor. So have fun with that. <laughs> it's really funny. But, uh, I don't know how much has jumped out to me, particularly Ralph, but I mean, I've been trying to, I've been putting together like a deeper, deep sleepers list for fantasy baseball. So just general redraft. And one guy I watched the other day was Joey Lucchese from, from the Padres who actually really like, I won't take into too much now because we'll save that for the Padres pod, but I really like what I saw from him. A couple other guys too, that kind of stood out as a whole, but I, I, you know, I don't really want to dig into too much. I want to dig into the Yankees, but I do want to ask you quickly, Ralph, about your top 100 list, which I believe you started tinkering away with. 
So any spoiler, you mentioned Verdugo there. Any kind of foreshadowing about where you're going with Verdugo overall? Because he was a guy I had some trouble ranking on my list particularly. I liked his floor a lot, and I think I put, I had a sentence for each guy, and I think for his I put that he will be perpetually underrated just because of his skills set overall. But it's really tough to rank guys like that because it's like you like the floor, but you don't think there's too much upside, but he's never going to bottom out. So is that like a top 100 guy? Is that like a top 150 guy? Like where is he on your list, do you know? Yeah, he's definitely going to be uh, a top 100 guy. Sure, um, absolutely. I've, I've had Verdugo yeah. somewhere like in the top 50 usually, just because I think the floor is so high. Like he's a mm-hmm. 300 hitter right out the, oh, right absolutely. Out the gate. I was and talking like redraft when, ranks, like top 100. Oh, what do you think oh, his ceiling oh, is? Oh, oh okay, yeah. okay. All right, we said redraft, sorry. My bad, my bad. Um, I'm finishing up these last couple of picks of the Crab RCL Claws up, by the Shout way. Out. So uh, I just took my uh, – one of my bullpen guys and, and Drew, uh, excuse me, I didn't take Strecken Rider. I took Eduardo Rodriguez so I can stash him on my DL. They got one pick left and then I can I can move on now. So, anyway, redraft wise, oh, what do you think? Like give him like two years of development. Tough. It's a tough. That's what that's what I'm saying. Because like if you you're doing yeah. it on the fantasy side, so it's like that's why it's especially tough because it's tough to pay up for floor, but. Well, I don't know. It's crazy because the Dodgers could could legitimately just sort of throw him to the Wolves right now. Mm-hmm. You know, like well, he's ready with to all play the options. every day at center in center field. He's better than Jock Peterson and yeah, they're messing around. With it. Maybe they just get sick of it and they decide to move forward. And that's the problem is you just don't know. And I was saying it's the same thing with Kyle Tucker, who's obviously been incredibly impressive mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this spring training. He's a good standout, yeah. Those guys sort of forced the way up. And it's something that actually, going back to Jim Cowis again, but it's something that he said about Cody Bellinger and that last year coming into the season, and I had Bellinger like sixth overall, and I said the same thing. Cody Bellinger is going to force his way into opportunity in at-bats because he's that good that it doesn't matter who's in front of him. And there's it was like a slight opening, and you kind of knew there was one, and I still think there's a slight opening in that outfield in Houston that Tucker can come up and be like a difference maker. And I think it's the same thing with Verdugo. There's still a slight window that they just like get sick of Peterson, who he gets hurt, whatever happens with Taylor. Like, you know, somebody gets mm-hmm. injured. Josh Wright from Houston. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they have like tolls. They have sort of all these different guys that are in the mix too. That's the problem with Verdugo. And he's so young, but they could hold him in AAA for half a year and it doesn't matter, you know? But they also don't have to play service time games if they feel he's the best piece. So, and he's so good defensively that it's it's one of those things that he come right up now. Where does he rank then? If he gets every day at bats, I mean, I think he's I think he could be a sneaky top thirty outfielder because he runs a little bit. I think with the baseballs and everything else, he can maybe have a little bit more power. Mm-hmm. And I do think he's a three hundred hitter from day one. Gets on base a lot. It's going to score some runs in that that offense. I think he I think he could be. I think he's like Adam Eaton. You know, yeah, only like he's that. not beating yeah, up yeah. and dead. <laughs> I don't mind Who, that. By yeah. the way, is, is injured still. I know, yeah. I remember a couple months ago, he was kind of the hot guy to draft. I remember being in some drafts and everyone kind of reaching a little bit. Not reaching, but like, you know, a round or two ahead. Like, oh, this guy could easily outperform his ADP. And now we're looking at him like, eh, maybe Victor Robles is probably the stash there. <laughs> so I guess we'll kind of see where yeah. that goes. But uh, let's jump into the Yanks now um, instead of lingering on some Dodgers um, talk here, yeah. even though, eh. You know, Brooklyn Dodgers, I guess that kind of overlaps to some extent. But uh, Gleyber Torres, hey. Ralph. Um, Gleyber Torres. I'm not too sure what to think of him. Because I remember this time last year, we were all kind of wondering if he'd break camp. 
he was in camp. He was hitting relatively well. I remember he had a really one of the MLB.com videos of Gleber is a nice Apple home run. And we kind of started to build up this hype around him. And we got into the season and we were starting to kind of buzz. He's in Trent and et cetera. He's hitting pretty well. You know, he's a really good approach. It's very refined. Um, it's just a really polished bat. But we didn't really know where the raw pop was at the time, et cetera. And then everything started going. And the next thing you know, tears his offhand UCL, so non throwing arm UCL on a slide into home plate. And we are left with no uh, no sample size, really, from 2017 for Gleber Torres. And now he's probably not going to start. He's not going to break camp with the team after almost unanimously. I mean, if you asked me in September whether he would break camp, I would have said absolutely. But now you see all the options the Yankees have. They signed Neil Walker. They Tyler Wade's not terrible. They had a lot. And Mangel and Duhar is another guy who we're going to get to on this list here who can play and play right now. And you kind of wonder what they're doing with Torres overall. It's just a matter of them having too many guys here to kind of find a spot for tours or do you think they just want to give him more development time yeah i think they just they feel they can give him a little bit more development time let's let's not forget he is coming off of an injury yeah they have no no reason to rush him especially early in the season they can allow him to build up for a couple of months and uh, then get him back into the major leagues and i think it's just a question of they're going to try out a couple of these guys at third and second base and they see how they play and if they start to underperform and, and struggle especially in new york and, uh, you know, we'll say and Duhar and uh, Torres are hitting down in AAA. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't, you know, promote both of those guys and, and you know, discard of, of Walker and, and Drury, I think, ultimately is a good uh, sort of bench piece for him that can play a couple of different yeah. positions. I think he's a, he I think he fits as a player long term for them anyway. Walker, I think, was a, a stopgap, a bridge until Torres uh, and, and Andujar, they felt, were completely ready. I think, you know, a guy like this is coming off of an injury. They just got to give him some time. I think ultimately what's going to happen is Glaber is going to develop. People are going to see that his hit tool is that refined, is that good at such a young age. And I just think it's the, the name has been out there, and he played for two organizations that, you know, fan bases that do a great job mm-hmm. of building hype in the Cubs and the Yankees, I can't speak much. You know, being a Red Sox fan growing up, it's obviously <laughs> the same. Car- Cardinals probably aren't much different either. When you have great prospects and you're a passionate fan base, you talk about them. And Torres, I think, is a guy that we've known about since he was 17, 18 years old, you know, uh, at least in prospect circles, and, you know, at a very bright level. We all knew who he was. He's been in the top 20 now. He's been ranked number one by MLB.com. I think that was when all the hype was building, yep. you know, in the early summer last year before the injury we all thought he was coming up before, you know, they didn't have to make the Todd Frazier trade was the thought. Glaver's coming up. He's going to play third. He's going to save the Yankees. They're going to win the World Series, yada, yada, yada. Um, he had the injury. I think the ability is still there, but they, they should take it slow with him. They should give him a couple of months, let him get settled, let him get a little bit more time in the minor leagues. He's never had a ton of time at any level in the upper minors, obviously, because he sort of jettisoned between two yeah. last year very quickly. I think it's very good if they do that for him. He'll be up in June. He'll be hitting. And it wouldn't shock me if he gives a lot of impact, especially if he's able to play at a few different positions that give, you know, DD a blow and, and, you know, potentially in some leagues, probably Yahoo, maybe he qualifies like second base and shortstop and, and, you know, potentially third base as well. So, yeah, I I like label a lot. I'm not one of these people that's like, I don't see where the fantasy upside is. I think if you've watched him play, You've seen the kind of hitter he, hit, hitter he is. Wow, I can't talk today. Uh, 
you'd appreciate why I think he could potentially be a, a fantasy stud. Yeah, and you mentioned right there that he hasn't had a large sample at any level, whether it was with the Cubs or with the Yankees at any, you know, up and down. He's been he's been thrown around a bit, you know, I guess you could say theoretically. And that's that's tough for me because I want to pass this back to you quick. What do you think the power peak is? Because that's what I had the hardest time trying to figure out. We know the approach is really good. He's not going to K a ton. He's going to walk. He's going to be a great OBP guy. I like his swing a lot. It's it's really fluid. He gets into his back leg pretty well, but he stays really, really, really well balanced, which is something that I think is very underrated with a lot of guys who go into a light kick like this. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful swing, and it's really smooth. You reminded me actually a little bit of V-Mart um, from the right side. Yeah, and, uh, yeah it really does yeah. very much, and especially in the lower half. Exactly. And, and the, yep. the setup and, and how open his stance is a little bit. Yeah, I totally see that. It's a great comp. Yep. Um, peak power. What do you think it is, Ralph? I think it could be 25 in this day and age if he's in Yankee Stadium with these baseballs. I don't, I don't think 25 is, uh, is out of reach at all. I'd agree with that, Especially with yeah. the kind of contact he makes. And he's going to get stronger, athletic guy, and good swing, um, good contact, and you know, he, he's, uh, he slugged 480 last year. Um, you know, I know that the totals aren't huge. And in minor leagues, honestly, I think sometimes for these guys, are, it's probably a little bit tougher to put the ball over the fence in some of these parks because they don't have <laughs> yeah. those uh, those super balls. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a very good point. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited for Torres, though. No, I agree with you. He hasn't hit too well in the spring, but I think there might be some ramifications of him just trying to get back into flow. And that's something, sure. I mean, the, the one thing I wanted to mention was that, you know, we have a lot of these really young guys. Like Gary Sanchez is a guy that was in the minor league system for a while for the Yankees. He was, feels like the guy that was always kind of perpetually talked about, and then now he's blown up and he's arguably the best catcher in baseball, best offensive catcher in baseball. And yeah. I feel like that might be some of this case with Torres, but the hype might have just been based up a little bit more because we've seen Judge and we've seen, I mean, even Tyler Austin, when he came up and hit that home run, I think there was some buzz around him. We'll get to him on this list as well, but I think that kind of petered out a little bit. But it's, it feels like every Yankee prospect that comes up is unbelievable, so the expectations are artificially high for Gleber, and I think that's going to drag him down a little bit if he comes up and, say, only hits 270 with like a 330-ish OBP, but doesn't put together the sure. 25 home run peak we're looking at. And I think that might bog him down a little bit. And I, I just, I would, I, if I was a Yankee fan, I would be a little bit, I would tamper my expectations, temper my expectations with what he produces in his first couple of years. And remember the guys like Gary Sanchez who are down there for a while and they're just giving him opportunities, you know, and growth. But next thing you know, like he's got really good arm strike. I think he could probably play third. I'd like to see him probably more at third. But if he goes to second, he ends up a guy like, it feels like the build of Moncada where he's got a really, really good arm, probably wasted a little bit at second base, but could probably be an average glove. So I'm, I'm interested to see overall what happens to him. And I mean, I think the floor is pretty high. I, I would refute anyone that's saying, you know, that they don't see the upside with the bat on the fantasy side of things. I think he's got a really good potential on that. Um, refute them, Lance. Refute them. <laughs> refute them. <laughs> <laughs> you, you pointed your finger too. I did. You I did. You subconsciously <laughs> did that. Oh was, my God. It, I'm going insane. <laughs> Oh, Ralph, you, Ralph, you, Ralph. You denounced. You were very denounced. I feel like Winston Churchill hey. or something. Yes. <laughs> oh, Esteban For- Floreal. We're going from we're going from Florida upside here. Uh, I, I remember, so good buddy Jason Panini, who I met in Saber Seminar in Boston. He does a lot of scouting. I think he's actually down with Chris Kuselek right now. He's a scout I know a lot of people follow. Fantastic follow on both of them, honestly, on Twitter. And Panini's an up and up and coming guy, and uh, he's doing a lot of scouting. He's put up a lot of videos and his thoughts on guys. And way back when he was down in the AFL, I asked him what he thought of Floreal, and he said one of the things that stood out to him the most was his speed. 
And I like that a lot, but the more I look at Floreal, the more I think long-term, when you see him actually at the major league level and that 25, 6, 7 peak age, I think that speed kind of deteriorates a little bit. And we get more of this all-fields power that we're seeing. And we've seen that through the minor leagues, and I really like how he can shorten up and actually put the ball the other way as opposed to some of the, some other guys like uh, who's the big uh, Dermis Garcia on this list. Crazy, yeah. crazy power, but he's all pull. Like He does not have all-fields pop to me. Or even a guy like... Who's it? Lewin Diaz on the Twins list. He had a lot of really good all fields pop. I thought from where his bat path was and how he'd get through the zone. He's a lefty going, so going to the left field. He was he had really nice uh, oppo power there. But Esteban Florial is kind of the same thing for me. Where I I really like that approach that he could kind of line the ball the other way. I think that's big, and uh, I'm really interested to see kind of where the tools are because we're looking at a guy that's purely five tools here. This is you know we talk about Royce Lewis is really five tools. There's a lot of other guys that are five tools around there as far as outfielders go, but. Floreal, like peak Floreal has legitimate, legitimate like 30 30 potential, I think. And I'm talking like peak peaks, so like 95th, 99th percentile of outcomes. Like he could get to 30 30. But it's a matter of, Ralph, if the strikeouts come down, do you think the strikeouts come down? I don't know how much the strikeouts ultimately come down. And you know, he kind of reminds me of in terms of the talent. And, and I guess this is a gift and a curse in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like Alfonso Soriano. Ooh, okay. You know, we're I like, like that. there's some there's a lot of volatility there. I obviously every player is a snowflake, and I don't think anyone is sure. exactly the same. I wanted to call everyone a snowflake. I just like to say that, you know. <laughs> like it's one of those angry, like uh whatever her name is, the blonde lady that gets angry on Facebook that your uncle shares. But uh I anyway, I missed the joke there. Tommy Loren. Uh but but I think I think that there's uh, like some volatility there, but obviously the excitement of the power and the speed and the fact that you know, maybe at this guy's peak in his mid, you know, early to mid twenties, it all sort of culminates in a couple of, you know, really unbelievable fantasy seasons across the board. Yeah. I yeah. think the, the batting average, I don't think is ever going to be super, super high once he gets to the major leagues, but I don't think it's ever going to be awful either because of that speed, the all fields, the hitting ability. Now he did make some, some great strides this year in terms of sort of cutting down on that a little bit too. And, uh, it, I don't think he was chasing as much, but yeah, I, I think that there is definitely some rawness to Floreal as well. Um, but you know, I think maybe that's part of the allure and part of the excitement there as well. Uh, but he is a really interesting prospect. And I would say that he probably has as high of a floor, if it all comes together as anybody in the minor leagues. Like if, if he has like a George Springer sort of development path, where he really cuts down on the strikeouts to the point that, you know, he's a really patient hitter and sort of refined at the plate. And he has that power and that speed at the right age. And it sort of all culminates the right time. Oh my God, this guy could be unbelievable. I, I like the Alfonso Soriano comp. He had, I think he, he was one forty forty season. And then he had almost one, I think he almost had two or th- I'm sure he had a couple like 35, 40 seasons or whatever. So that's extremely, extremely high praise. And I've also have not heard the, the phrasing around Floreal in, in regards to his floor that you're saying. So I find that kind of interesting. I, I'd assume that's probably a factor of everything coming together and him being a five-category contributor where, you know, even if the average isn't insanely high, he's putting up steals and he's putting up home runs and he's getting RBIs and he's hitting in the heart of an order enough where everything peripherally comes together and produces a relatively valuable fantasy player, which and we're in an AL-only dynasty draft right now with JFO, actually. And... Uh, um, I'm I'm targeting Floreal, I think, to some extent. I really want him, and I really want Joe Adele in that league because I think that those are two guys that could kind of really shoot up there. Um, but uh, 
But yeah, Florio is super, super interesting to me. Overall, I really like his stance, quiet hands. He's got a pretty simple load. That actually, I want to go prospect to prospect comp here too, which is something I don't think a lot of people do too much. Um, reminded me a lot of Jesus Sanchez from the Rays, actually. If you watch tape of them, they're very, very similar hitters in how they swing. Both a little bit longer on their swings. Their strikeout rates are a little bit more of a concern. Much more of a concern with Florial than Sanchez right now. But they can both take walks. Mm-hmm. How they swing through. Their launch angle looks pretty good. Could use them to power. I kind of get a little bit excited with any lefty going into Yankee, too. And, I mean, I, I like the fact that he can stay mm-hmm. the other way, too, and he can kind of stay inside the ball, Florial. As I was mentioning, he's got really good line drive to the opposite field, which is, is something that I, I think a lot of players with this high of a K rate don't tend to do. And and I think that that signals a little bit more on the developmental side of hitting. And I like that overall with him. And in spring, too, he's had a, a baseball reference has this pretty cool, like, opponent quality thing. And Florial's is pretty low. But uh, he's 286, 400, 571 through 25 plate appearances. Super small sample. But you want to comp that back to a guy like Torres. Like, he's hitting better than Torres. Torres is hitting 130, 200, 217 in a really similar amount of plate appearances. Um, you know, Florial, I think, is Kang a pretty good amount. Yeah, he's 7Ks to 4 walks. So, I mean, the walks are still there. I think that's probably the encouraging factor. But the strikeouts are also still there. So, I mean, you, you kind of give and take there. It, you win some, you lose some. But, yeah, he's, he's maintained 10% walk rates in, you know, right around 400 plate appearances. And... The skills are discernible. They're really good. I think the average does drop down probably into that 250, 260 when he breaks into the major leagues eventually. But as you're saying, the upside here is just fantastic overall, I think, and what he can do. And I think this is a guy who is going to jump up on a lot of lists if he comes out strong. You know, I'm not sure. I'd assume maybe they start him at high A, and he probably gets to double A by the end of the year, maybe triple A. I don't think anything more than that. They have a lot of outfield depth. I don't think they're going to rush him too much. I think it's unnecessary for, for them to rush him, but I guess we'll kind of see overall. But legitimately this guy i think can be a top 25 top 20 prospect by the end of the year when we're redoing our top 100 list ralph so i'm, I'm super excited about him um i gotta ask ralph miguel and duhar uh we're big fans of Fangraphs and long and hagen and what those guys do miguel and duhar was number 14 overall on their top 100 uh i don't know if you looked at that list or you were super surprised by it but that stood out to me overall because we saw him in hartford and i remember saying he he looked pretty good but he wasn't one of those guys who stood out to me like I don't know, I'm sure you get this too. Like you saw Honeywell, you've seen a lot of good prospects. I've seen Miguel Sano back in the day. There's guys that stand out to you, whether that be, you know, because of their skills or how their performance is on a given day. Or if you see them a couple times, you start to kind of realize, like, even if they're 0 for 3 with 3Ks, they hit a ball to the track or make a really nice play in the field or the arm strength shows up. And I didn't feel like I caught that with Miguel and Duhar. And I'm sure it was a small sample. And we were with our buddy Andy Singleton, who you host the Fantrax Baseball Show with. So we were talking the whole time. So maybe we didn't have the best look at him. But uh, what was your impression kind of of Andujar at the time? And and were you really surprised by that 14 overall rank on, on the top 100 by Longenhagen and McDaniel? Yeah, I thought it was a bit high. Um, but then again, you know, he's come out in spring training, especially early on, and hit really well. And he plays a premium position. And, you know, he does one th- it combines two skills that I think are very valuable. And that is he has the potential to, you know, tap into 30 homer sort of power while still having like a, th- you know, a 280, 300 batting average. Cause he is a good contact hitter. I love him as a hitter. I think all the questions with Andujar come down to what he's going to be as a fielder. And if he really can stick at third base, what I saw that night, um, cause I was trying to shut up and watch the game a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe maybe you were having <laughs> no, a good wasn't. time. I was you were talking about me and Andy when he was trying. He <laughs> was trying to get you to do interviews with people, and the I was like, "No, tapes. I want to watch the baseball game." 
I think he he had a hard double or a home run that night. And and we got there early before you guys did. And we had press passes. So I was able to go up and watch batting practice. And he put on a show. I mean, he was putting balls out to, you know, every single field. Hartford's not an easy park to hit, hit the ball out of either, uh, necessarily, compared to uh, some of the other parks. You know, like it's not in, in Reading or something like that mm-hmm. or some of the, the parks in the Cal League. Uh, I think it's relatively like, you know, hitting, pitting, pitching neutral. I almost said pitting. I don't know what that pitting means. Neutral. But anyway, getting getting back to <laughs> it's it. That's what Otani does, Andy pitching Duhar, and hitting. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, <laughs> good one. <laughs> Um, what, what Ian Duhar does well is just make great hard contact with a baseball, love a swing, balanced, great hips, like the rotation in his hips. When I watch his swing, it's like perfect. I don't, I don't know if, if, if you agree or not. I know you're big into mechanics, but yeah. I love his low half and I just think it's really well balanced. And, you know, when I saw him start to sort of tap into more raw power as the season went on. Uh, and then obviously thus far in spring training, it sort of reminded me of that batting practice and the fact that a lot of folks that have watched him for a long time, scouts, et cetera, have talked about the potential, you know, 60 plus raw power that could potentially show up in the game and that he's the kind of guy that, it, you know, it could translate and all come together. And I think there's potential. It could, if he could play a solid third base, he's going to be there for a long time in New York. That's really what it comes down to because mm-hmm. the arm is good. It's just, it's the glove. And he's a little stiff in terms of his footwork and stuff at third. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, that's interesting. You mentioned he's he's a little stiff with his footwork because he's super super loose at the plate, and it's a little bit right? unorthodox of a swing. I don't think it's something I wouldn't call it polished, but it works really really well for him overall and his rhythm and his timing, etc. And at the end of the day, you talk a lot of the time about kind of leaving guys alone who are a little bit twitchy like this, who are really loose with fantastic bat speed. And who have kind of quirks to their swing, and and Duhar's swing is a little bit funky. Like I, I, it didn't, I wasn't in love with it when I saw it. But then you look at the results, and you look at how often he makes really good contact, and how beautiful his approach is, and then you start to kind of puzzle it all together and go, yeah, this is he's legitimate. Like I'm not gonna knock him for the stance because of this. And he also only played eight plate appearances, I believe, at the major league level, but uh, he has not struck it out. So I'm interested to see how long that takes before he eventually K's through the minor leagues through like 2015. I don't think he had a K rate above 18%. And then if you want to kind of re-bucket it for just 2016 and 2017, he didn't have a K rate above 15%. So it's really impressive. And, and, you know, the walk rate's gone up a little bit too. He 250 plate appearances with uh, Scranton Wilkes-Beard last year, AAA Yankees. He was 7% walk rate and 13% K rate. It's like, if you can put that together, the major league level, he's a 350 OBP guy who could put, put up 20 home runs easy, I think. And he's stable around there. I think there's a really, really high floor with him, which might go into the rank of, of Long and Hayne and McDaniel with him at 14 overall. And, you know, I, I like what he does overall. He's one of, one of those guys where everything just works and you kind of just have to shrug your shoulders and say, you know, it is what it is. Like, I, it's hard for me to kind of judge what his ultimate ceiling is. I don't think he turns into like a, like a top 40 fantasy player, I guess, is where I'm going with this, I think, in redraft. I think he ends up probably in that, like, 50 to 100 range where it's really nice value, great power, the average is there, but it's never like, oh, my God, this guy's going to hit 35 home runs with, like, 320, you know? Like, Aaron, he's not going to be in, like, an Aaron O'Brien, like, first, second round tier to me. He ends up more in, like, that... I, don't, I can't, maybe not Chris Davis, but I'm trying to think of like a 30 home. Like, like a Mike Moustakis, maybe. Like a 270 with maybe a, a, a 30-ish... 35 home run season in him as far as pop goes, but the discipline's substantially better than that too. So maybe I'm kind of. See, that's why I wonder if he's more like 
maybe like Edwin Encarnacion, who doesn't strike okay. out a lot. I can see that. Yeah, that's a better comp. I like that. They're maybe less power. I don't know if I see the same power. Yeah, if he Maybe gets into do. it, it could be. I yeah, mean, he's yeah. not that old either, so that's true. It's yeah. possible, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't think we thought uh, Edwin Encarnacion had that much power, and <laughs> when he was 23 years old <laughs> in the red point. system, so yeah, I don't know. I see. I really like Andujar. I think there's a lot of power there, and I think you know his upper half is probably a little bit stiff in the swing. But like I said, I just like the power mm-hmm. and 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 just where the the rotation is in, in, in his hips. And I just feel like he really gets works. a lot of drive. I think he gets a lot of drive out of his lower half. You oh, know? Absolutely. Yeah. He's a little bit crouched in his stance. I can see that. He's another guy who stays really, really yeah. well balanced. Like a little bit like Torres where it's just, it's, it works. Like mm. there's just, it's interesting. Cause we often see a lot of these guys on other prospect lists where the strikeout rates are insane and you know, they're walking a little bit and you can kind of go, okay, like, yeah, we'll put up with it. If the strikeout rates at 25%, he's walking 10% of the time. Both these guys are like sub 18% strikeout rate guys which is really good like the major league average for strikeouts i i'm sure it's around was like 20 22 overall now like both these guys are gonna be under that they're they're almost like they're playing billy beanball moneyball from back in the day with these guys where it's obp based like these guys are gonna get on base and that's extremely extremely underrated to me yeah i i think you're right man i <laughs> can't disagree i don't think i should have passed that back to you <laughs> you didn't look like you were ready ralph <laughs> I was trying to get a charger for my wife, and I I totally missed you for a second. No problem, no problem. Uh, So finishing up, I agree with you on the top three. I think I'd go Torres, Florial, and Duhar. Actually, I'd agree with that. Um, Where I maybe start to kind of disagree with you a little bit, and we'll get into some arms now. You have a trio of arms here, four, five, six in your list, Ralph. Chance Adams, Justice Sheffield, and Albert Abreu. Interesting with Chance Adams four. I want to hear kind of your take on him overall. Is this just more of a floor thing where you think that he could pitch right now and be stable, so why not put him up there? And then you probably don't trust Sheffield and Abreu. Abreu is a little bit more projectable, but Sheffield's a guy I think could probably break in this year if, if given the opportunity, but we'll see what the Yankees want to do. But let's start with Chance Adams first, Ralph. Yeah, I think I think the thing with Adams is just it's tough for me to knock a guy like this where he seems to have all the intangibles and the numbers have been phenomenal since he's come into professional baseball and he's been a starter, you know, after being uh, a reliever, you know, at Dallas Baptist. So mm-hmm. it's tough for me to put him below guys that haven't had as good a production as him. And he's at a higher level. And there's a chance this guy breaks in. And I, I like him. He's not a big guy, but he's a very stout, strong, you know, sort of has like that, that pitcher's ass and, <laughs> All that sort of like lower, strong lower half and drive going. He's got, you know, good mound presence. Um, I like the fastball, good slider, you know, works in a curve, mm-hmm. change up, seems to be able to throw everything, you know, for strikes, mixes well, you know, sort of changes eye levels. I, I like Adams. He gets a lot of weak contact. I think he's a guy that might be able to come up and surprise some people. And uh, I just felt like because he's major league ready, and I really do think he is, it's tough for me to not rank him there when we're looking at guys like Sheffield, who I think is really good and probably has a higher ceiling than than Adams. You know, he's probably more like a number two starter. If everything really maxes out, maybe he's a number one. But, you know, he still has some whip issues. He still has some trouble, you know, with walks at times. and, And then he'll try to, you know, get away from that and leave stuff up in the zone. Albert Abreu um, had a very good season, but still in a load of minors. There's still some questions there as well. And then you get into like somebody like Medina or the other 
12,000 arms that the Yankees have. <laughs> no, absolutely, yeah. And I feel like, yeah, the more you go... So, like, Adams definitely is a floor guy. Like, I agree with that. I don't know where the upside is at the end of the day with him. I think the first thing I noticed with him when I was watching him was that he's he's really up-tempo and he repeats his mechanics fantastic, like, really, really good. And I think that's one of the things. The fact that he's up-tempo and he repeats his mechanics really well creates deception to some extent which is something i don't think a lot of people bring up i think a lot of people bring up deception in regards to hiding the ball but you can also bring up your deception in regards to tempo and pace on the mound and he's got a little bit of like a recoil in his arm he actually reminded me a bit of like jake pv and how he throws and he's just kind of like a gamer okay it's really not a ton of extension it's you know it's pretty standard arm slot it's kind of three quarters it's not really up it's not it's not sheffield where it's more sidearm etc um but i liked it overall you know he's fastball the slider is fantastic from what i've seen um, he's curveball change. I think he's kind of working on more so, but again, they're viable pitches and he's used that change up, I think well enough to the point where the Yankees are probably, I mean, they got to give him a shot. I think this year, I think he starts some games this year and I'd be really interested to see what the results are. Um, he was 22% strikeout rate, 10% walk rate. I think that kind of stabilizes at the major league level as well. I bet it's right around there. I don't think there's going to be too much fluctuation. I don't know where I see the strikeouts upside overall with him. Maybe if you believe in that slider playing up a little bit more, I could, I can understand the argument for becoming like a 25% K rate guy and slot in right in that eight, eight, nine K per nine window. I'd, I'd be okay with assuming that. I think it's probably in that eight ish range right now, but yeah, I, I don't mind the rank at four overall. I think that if you're looking at floor and you're looking at a guy who you just want innings out of right now and who can be viable it's not going to get blown up like we often see guys who we don't really know about like Luis Castillo when he first came up everyone was he got kind of lit up I think his first couple starts and everyone was like oh it's fastball straight this and that but we don't really know what to expect when he came up I feel like with Adams we know what we're going to get it's going to be five six innings it's going to be probably you know four-ish k's five-ish k's he's not going to blow anyone out on the water I don't think personally this is probably just me maybe saying that slider isn't as unbelievable as some of the other sliders on this list so it might just be a comparison thing for me overall but uh i like what i saw overall again i think that he the the biggest thing for me was that deception and how he got that from his tempo and how he was basically his cadence on the mound and that made his change up a little more deceptive to lefties etc i think that was a really cool point on him um but I think at the end of the day, he is a starter. I think we're going to go to some other guys on this list, and we're going to end up saying the relievers. One of the guys that stood out to me like that is Domingo Acevedo. I don't know if you think the same way, but I think he ends up as a reliever yeah. at the end of the day. Some other guys, also the same thing. But uh, Sheffield, I'll jump to Sheffield quick and, and maybe kind of get your, your rebuttal to what I'm saying. But Sheffield uh, is a guy I think was really aggressively ranked by MLB.com, I remember. I think they had him as, I want to say their number one lefty, maybe? Maybe two? I'm, I'm not sure overall. Maybe they're number two. But mm-hmm. uh you know, he's a little bit shorter. He's 5'11". I think there's some inherent effort with him. and uh, But it's not to the point where, like, I always I always bring up the effort comp back to Carson Fulmer. That's the guy I tend to always go back to. J.B. Bukaskis is another one where it's it's high effort and you see the high effort. But Sheffield's a little bit more, because of his slot that he's coming out of as a lefty with a little bit more sidearm, low, th- low three-quarter sidearm, I think it works a little bit better and it takes off the fact that, you know, he's he's putting a ton of, effort into his delivery i think that that is something that you don't see and i don't think you should tag him too too much with that but his slider i think is better than chance adam's slider it's it's unbelievable he i think if anyone watches spring training of the yankees or any some of the tape he's been in there's been some really really good gifs of that pitch and, and how well the action is on it, how consistent the action is on it too he actually changed from a curve to a slider in high school i was watching some tape of him back in 2013 at perfect game and he looked relatively similar overall in his delivery and everything i saw um, I think he's actually probably closing off a little bit better now, which is going to make him a little bit tougher for lefties to hit. 
Um, I, I enjoy him overall. I think that he's a really good blend of floor and upside. I want to see the Yankees give him a shot, but there is the in- lingering injury history, which I, I guess has to be a concern with almost every pitcher, but it's it's kind of more of a concern with some of these guys where it's popped up in the past and maybe isn't so big of a deal now, but um, I, I like him. I think that I'd have him above Adams, but I think it's relatively close, and I'm probably playing more of the upside card here than the I need a starter mm. now. Yeah, it, and it is very close between those two guys. Sure, they're they're going to be really close in my top 100 list. They're they're both top 100 stars, I think. It's probably mm-hmm. to keep Adams off. And I think he's one of those guys that it's just I, – I struggle with guys like Adams and, and just in terms of ranking them and mm-hmm. how to project them out because the numbers are so good and a guy, a guy continues to just pitch really, really well. And everything innings. you hear about him is that he's a good, a good pitcher and there seems to be some faith in him. And he seems to pick things up that it, it, it's just tough for me not to buy into that a little bit more, though. I think the case is probably there that, that Justice probably has the higher fantasy upside. I mean, he has a better fastball. Uh, it's, you know, can touch max out at 98 miles an hour, you know, very high spin rates, a rising fastball. So you can work, you know, up in the zone and in on guys, which I think, you know, makes him very dangerous, especially if his command gets uh, a little bit better. I think that's one of the things yeah. he does struggle with. It's not necessarily yep. control as much as his command, really making sure that he hits his spots. He's got a, he's got a couple of breaking balls. The changeup is, is good as well. Uh, the slider, though, as you as you mentioned, is a plus pitch. That it's is really a good. very, you know, very good pitch. Um, and like, I, I, there's there's not much to knock Sheffield on other than the size, the delivery, and the injury history. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, anything else you wanted to mention on Justice Sheffield? No, I think I'm good. I think the transition to Albert Abreu is interesting here because he's got the most upside, I would say, overall. Because the thing you often hear from anyone who's seen him pitch in person is that he has unbelievable arm speed. And what for me, that allows me to do is project out his changeup. And then when you project out his changeup with his curveball, which is a beautiful two-plank curve that it almost is kind of like a blend of a curve slider. I think it's like 11, five as opposed to 12, six. So it's got a little bit more bend horizontally. Um, really, really good pitch. And if you project out his change up, you're looking at a guy with three plus pitches. And that I think is where you kind of put things together and go, yeah, you're looking at the upside of like a really good number two, I think. But with that, he doesn't have the most insane mechanics. It's not as nice, even as like, he kind of comps a little more to like chance Adams where it's not unbelievable, you know, extension he's not engaging his lower body as well as uh, Sheffield even I think and maybe even some of these other guys on this list um but what you see overall is just a really really good pitcher and uh, the velocity is unbelievable you know you put everything together and you project out that change up and you're looking at you're looking at a, another basically a Luis Severino and we're probably gonna bring up that comp with some other guys on this list um Luis Medina I'm probably gonna bring it up with again just because it kind of it's not saying that they're gonna become Luis Severino it's just saying in general that they're a projectable pitcher and if they have that other pitch the reason Severino blew up is because of that change up the lefties and that's kind of what I'm saying here is like if if a Breu can blow up and get that change up going and he has a possibly going at a lower level Severino was at the major league level didn't have a change up and then eventually last year obviously he blew up because of that change of actually playing up to lefties but a Breu is tinkering with it now I think that it's very projectable, and when I start to put all that together, I really, really like the upside of it. But again, small sample, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he runs into arm problems. Um, the arm speed is fantastic, yeah. but it's not a lot of lower body, and I think that once you get a guy and you start stretching him out with that with that in mind, it becomes a little bit tougher to say you're confident in him throwing 170 innings. And I know the, the league is trending towards more of the 150 guys, 140 guys, whatever, but... 
I mean, even that for Abreu right now is probably something to be a little bit concerned with projecting out. So I really, really like the upside. Again, I think you project that the changeup, the arm speed is the thing that everyone's always going to bring up with that with Abreu. Um, this is a fun trio of pitchers here. Do you agree with that Abreu has the most upside, Ralph? Yeah, I do think Abreu has the most upside. He could be a number one starter if it all clicks. He has so much volatility that he should be in the Minnesota Twins system, oh, Lance. He should. Don't you agree? I want to bring it back a little bit, but <laughs> I do love you know the combination of the big fastball and the great breaking ball. It's a curveball as opposed to a slider, which is what Severino throws, and the changeup that's developing. That's why it's a really good comp. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, another guy that was brought over in, in that uh, uh, Brian McCantry that was eventually used to get Giancarlo Stanton, uh, which was Jorge Guzman, was very similar. Another guy with good breaking ball, big, you know, triple digits fastball, you know, huge velocity there. Yeah. Bray is another guy, huge velocity. But the concerns are him uh, putting it all together, having, you know, the kind of season he had last year in 53 innings, but doing it at 120, 130 innings, and then being able to scale up, you know, in a couple of years when he's ready to, for the majors and throw 170 plus innings. But I want to give a shout out real quick to our number one Yankees fan when it comes to this podcast. And that would uh, be none other than Kenneth Cashman at Kenneth underscore Cashman at RotoWare, RotoWare.com, our number one sponsor. They make the highest quality fantasy t-shirts, best designs. They have a ton of new fantasy baseball designs that have come out over the last few weeks. They have an 80 grade one with bats and sort of, you know, the tally marks. I love that one. They get the prospect stash. They get the Crab Army exclusive t-shirt that I'm rocking right now and a bunch of other designs that you can go there, check out. And the advanced stat was one that came out a little bit earlier. Uh, I love RotoWare. You should go onto the website. I want you to buy a couple of t-shirts and I want you to use our promo code so you can save some money. It's Sagnoff, S-A-G-N-O-F. And you're going to get 20% off all your purchases every time you use that code. So uh, S-A-G-N-O-F, buy some RotoWare plants. Anything you want to save to uh, Kenny, my uh, man? I will be buying some shirts for the season, and I'm still kind of deciding on which ones to buy here. But, uh, yeah, I, I reiterate everything you say. Unbelievable quality on the shirts. Unbelievable person Kenny is. And uh, shout-out to the newborn. I think he's a couple months old now. Uh, his middle name's Jeter, if I remember correctly, so I think we have to uh, – Bring, or is his first name Jeter or middle name, Ralph? Do you remember? I'm gonna uh, it's Kingston, Kingston, Kingston Jeter. Jeter. That's it. So middle name is Jeter. We're doing Yankees podcast. It all comes full circle. And it, it will even be a bigger of a circle if you purchase some shirts and use our code because that supports us. It supports Kenny. supports people who grind. supports everything. We love it. We appreciate RotoWare. At RotoWare, at Kenneth underscore Cashman. Follow both of them. Fantastic content on Twitter, too, as far as the giveaways he has and everything. And uh, it's unbelievable. Can't say enough. Let me ambush you for a second. Gotcha. Uh, so I was talking to Kenny the other night, uh, you know, because we like to hang out. We have some conversations. Yeah, yeah Kenny's my buddy. Kenny's the man. He was saying he would do uh, some limited edition, like, runs of T-shirts. Do you think we should do, like, a prospect podcast T-shirt? Oh, absolutely. Should we have him, should we have him do one up? Uh, we have to figure out, like, what our catchphrase is. Like, oh, what, what is it that we say? Other than, <laughs> than like and you know and um. <laughs> yeah. And oh, this is guy, this guy. Or, <laughs> I, I listen back and I, I pick out everything I say over and over and I try to cut it out each podcast. Oh, but then I realize in the next podcast I listen to, like, oh, I cut that out. But I added this stupid phrase and I said it yeah. 40 times. So Why did I say you know what I mean like six times? <laughs> yeah. Like, why did I say um between everything when I was, or why did I say that the floor was higher? <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, it's, it's I what still it is. Wanna, I still want to know what the point was that you were trying to make when you totally caught me off guard when I was texting my 
wife unsuccessfully for a charger <laughs> We usually do, like, we each do a take, and for some reason I felt like I should have passed it back to you, but I clearly should have just kept going on, but uh, that was my fault. But limited run, I don't know what the phrase should be. We, I don't know, bro shits is, is, like, the name. I don't know if it's the phrase, you know? I don't know if that's... Like, we got to think about this. I think it's got to come naturally. I don't know what it is, but it has to come naturally. It hasn't come yet, so we have to... I don't know. Go 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 dig in with bro shits. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> we should do this. Off, we should do this off air. Listeners, if anyone yeah, has a good I'm idea, sorry. yeah, so let us know. On Twitter, at Prospect Jesus, you know where to hit Lance. Lance, you want to tell people yeah, where they can at, at Lance Brozdow, B R O Z D O W. Oh, my voice just <laughs> blew up there. Jesus. <laughs> ah, no worries. Let's go to Louis Medina because I think he's interesting. He's somebody that you texted me about yeah. the other day. Uh, He's an 18-year-old, you know, one of these, you know, international specials <laughs> that the Yankees seem to get. If you look at the numbers, if you're number scouting, you would completely over this kid. 5.35 ERA, 1.42 whip, was 2-2. Two and two. That was only in a 38-inning sample. But big velocity with this guy, running the fastball, nothing that he throws is straight. Filthy curveball, pretty good changeup as well. I know you said there was sort of very conflicting reports in him. I've heard the same thing. I tend to lean good when I watch him. Yeah. I feel he's incredibly projectable. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I think the biggest thing that you'll read in the volatility in the reports that I saw was around the changeup. It was around whether that's projection, whether it's just absolute garbage right now, and he has to eventually get it to the point where it's projectable and then actually actualize that projection. So there's multiple steps to it. So I'm not really sure who I believe on the side of understanding where the changeup is, but the curveball is really good. And the pitch is the cutter, or excuse me, has cut. It's a fastball. And the thing you'll hear a lot about is it has natural cut. So whether this turns into kind of like a, and I don't want to bring this comp up because the guy's unbelievable, like a Kenley Jansen kind of fastball cut, eventually becomes a reliever, a closer, etc. I don't want to draw that one-for-one one comp, but it gets you the kind of into the idea of what that fastball looks like at the end of the day. And that is unbelievable for a kid this young where he throws this hard. People think that it's a future 70-grade pitch, possibly 80-grade pitch. And if he could bring together the other pitches on, on what he does overall uh, – yeah, the sky's the limit again. Again, this turns into like a Louis Severino guy where it's like, well, where's the changeup and how does that eventually end up for him overall? But this is one of the younger guys in their system. Again, we're looking at huge volatility here with a really, really low floor and him just not putting it together. But um, maybe you could bump that floor up if you think that that fastball is good enough to make him like a reliever, a back-end reliever long-term. But uh, overall, I think that you're looking at a guy who's Really young here, a lot of projection to do, but the pitches here are unbelievable. And I feel like he's a guy, from what I've heard on other podcasts and other lists, is is one that just kind of stands out when, you know, if you're looking for a guy in the Yankee system who maybe isn't the uh, Justice Sheffield, Miguel and Duhard Libertores kind of name brand, like Medina is kind of that guy. Lower down on this list, he's out of the side of the top five. You have him seven here, Ralph. I've seen him kind of between eight and 12, too, and he's a little bit lower down on some lists, but that's probably just a matter of people not believing fully in him putting together everything, but it's a nice delivery. It's a little bit inconsistent, but I think you're going to get that for any kid like this. Who's this young. What is your thoughts on skin Garcia? I mean, Dermis, because Dermis has to like translate directly to skin, right? <laughs> I like never Derma. even thought of that. <laughs> I wonder if it's, I don't know Spanish. I think I took some Spanish in high school, uh, but it doesn't really apply to me remembering it that is. Dermis is skin. But uh, Ep- epidermis, epidermis, uh, <laughs> ah, there you go, there you go. Dermis Garcia, man. Uh, 
legitimate, legitimate power. I actually really like this guy. I think that he's the guy on the list for me that I could see jumping up pretty quick. Um, the strikers are a problem. It's all pull power. But if you're looking for a guy on a dynasty league who has floor based on the power, even though the strikeouts are insane, he's low down, etc. This guy has it. It's, it's legitimate 70 power. I actually got to say, I like him almost as much, if not more than a guy like Jalen Ortiz. And I don't know how crazy really? that is because Jalen Ortiz is a guy who's just been touted as having unbelievable power, but I never really been in love with Jalen Ortiz's swing or body. And I don't really know where that ends up at the end of the day for him specifically. He could probably take a walk better than Dermis can, but I think that there's some really simple, not simple, obviously anything tinkering with a guy who's a polished hitter is tough to do, but there's some obvious things that I think they could tinker with in his swing to bring him out a little bit more. It's, really good power for it not being a lot of movement and that's a big thing for me i think you see a lot of guys like helio ramos has a lot of movement in his swing it's funky a lot of holes but that power is insane dermis garcia has it's it's a relatively compact motion what he does to get to the ball and there's a lot of power and man you watch some of those home runs he hits and they stand out i think that this is a kid who could jump up into the top five on this list by year's end um maybe i'm being a little bit too bullish maybe i'm not seeing enough of the holes around him as a whole but I really like him as a cheap power option in Dynasty Leagues. I think that he is almost like a poor man's Jalen Ortiz to me. I know you really like Jalen Ortiz. What do you think of that comp? Is it me being a little bit nearsighted and just looking at these Yankees lists and we haven't gotten to the Phillies yet? Or what do you think overall? I think just watching the two hitters is, uh, you know, the swings, it's just not as compact as I think Ortiz's is. that He can get in. Like, it is stuff, he doesn't get beat by stuff on the inside. And if you leave anything over the plate to Ortiz, he just absolutely matches it. His issue is breaking balls off the plate. He tends to chase a little bit, and he's had some trouble with those. Uh, and that's some, something I actually heard from some direct scouting reports from Matt Winkleman, who talks to people within the Phillies organization. I was sort of hitting him up and going back and forth after I wrote my sleeper post on uh, Ortiz. And, and, you know, he had sort of had some some comments or whatever, and we were going back and forth on DMs on Twitter. So that's something he had mentioned to me. But I think the thing with Garcia is this swing's a little longer than Ortiz to me. I, just, is, I think is. he can get beat a little bit more. Um, body's better. You know, if he could tighten that up a little bit in terms of the swing, and it's possible that he can, he'd be an unbelievable prospect. I think in terms of the raw power, you know, there's maybe a dozen guys in the minors that are, you know, even on his level. Uh, so it, from that standpoint, he's very exciting. It makes him very exciting for fantasy. So, you know, there, there's not much that you could sort of knock him on. The other thing is he knows how to take a walk. So he's sort of that three outcome hitter that I like. I don't know if he's going to stick at third base. Probably not. But Ultimately, I like the power. I like the plus-plus bat speed and plus-plus raw power. I think this guy ultimately will develop into something special. And I like the fact that, you know, keep in mind, he did that as a 19-year-old in full season ball. So um, That's what stands out to me. Yeah, you know? I, the, the swing pass are really different between Ortiz. I was just watching some tape between Ortiz and Dermis. Um, the thing with Dermis that I think is going to be hard to get out of his swing to make it a shorter, more compact swing is the fact that even when you watch like some of the older tape, Fangraphs has a video up where it shows him way back with like no lower half and is in anything and really like probably 50 pounds lighter, like way back. I don't know where he's from. I don't want to butcher the country, probably Dominican Republic or Venezuela or something. But um, yeah, and when you watch him now, there's a lot more lower body in there. Um, but the thing is, he's got this weird where he'll go when he comes back into his low with his hands, he'll actually go up before he triggers a swing, which just lengthens it, lengthens it a little bit too much. And I think that 
stuff like that is is tough. Like those weird nuanced things where your your hands are going further back away from the zone, and then you have to get your bat speed going to get it into the zone. Um, it's tough to I think iron that out of a guy's swing, and it may be as simple as just really quieting him down. But I mean, he is young; he's going to be malleable, etc. But that's what stood out to me as far as making that swing long. You mentioned his swing was definitely it is longer. It's longer than Jalen Ortiz's, yeah. but. I, I don't know. I think I like it more than Jalen Ortiz's. Like, as a whole, I think I'm just... Some people do. I like Jalen Ortiz, but I... It's funky. He's a funky, funky profile. We'll get into him on the Phillies list, but we'll stick to Dermis. I like Dermis. I like him a lot. I think the swing, as a whole, is better than Jalen Ortiz. Jalen Ortiz is probably the better prospect. He probably has more raw pop, but I really like what the Yankees can do with, with a guy like Dermis Garcia. Give him some time with Aaron Judge and, and Stan and let him t- pick their brains, and let's do it. Dermis Garcia... MVP 2024. <laughs> no. Mike, 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 the Blue Jays owner in Raz 30 absolutely agrees with you on Dervis. Like really? He's, yeah. He's listening this, to, to this right now and he's smiling. He's going to blow us up in, in the chat on, on Raz 30. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Dervis. I like Dervis a lot. Another really big guy on this list, number nine on your list, Ralph. And Literally. I'm, Literally, literally very big literally very 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 big. he's like six eight i don't understand how anyone can be this large but uh he pitched in the futures game and he got absolutely torched i do remember watching him back then six yeah. seven two fifty excuse me just looked at his fan graphs domingo acevedo uh it's funky obviously the weirdest comp so this is a really odd comp most people the thing i like doing when i bring up comps is you often just bring up a comp aesthetically and you fall into the idea of just comping a guy to a guy that he looks like. So if a guy's Spanish, yeah. you'll comp to a Spanish guy. If he's white, you'll comp to a white guy. It's just natural. It happens. <laughs> it's, it's easier for people to conceptualize in their mind. So you'll comp a guy like, you know, I don't know, some, someone to you. <laughs> Esteban or something like Floreal that. to Alfonso Soriano. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the funny. So you want to listen to the Domingo Acevedo comp because it's going to, you're going to laugh because they're probably completely different people. The motion looks like Alex Woods. <laughs> I'm not lying. When I watched it, I thought Alex would. And where he comes with yeah. his glove hand, how he reaches out, he closes himself off a it's lot. It's got that weird like, it's longness funky. to it. And right. then you expect him to come high three quarters, and he comes like a weird, funky sidearm, and he's got a really weird fall off. And it's it's weird, it's funky, but I've seen this fastball graded as 80. And I, <laughs> I've seen some tape. They got some really good video Yankees on YouTube Um of bullpen sessions with like right behind a catcher and right up at the pitcher. So it's really good, really good kind of, if you slow down the mechanics to get a look at what he looks like, it it's awesome. Like I really like some of the video. This happened with the twins too. The guy, I don't remember who the guy was on YouTube. Had some really good video of the twins. There's systems like this on YouTube. You can dig into and you can get like every guy in really good tape. And Acevedo has some very, very good tape up there that you could break down and kind of dig into how funky he does in fact look. But, uh, six, seven, two fifty, um, the command, I think, has actually been a little better than I thought for a guy of this size. We often talked about bigger guys not being able to kind of get all the parts in their body moving and under control. Glass now, again, we always bring this up with glass and we always have a problem with it. But um, I, maybe it's something with the size, the width of Acevedo, honestly, that allows him to kind of corral everything a little bit better. Maybe there's less moving parts yeah. because he's a little bit not able to get some of the parts moving because he is so big. And I'm not trying to knock him here. But at the end of the day, he feels like a reliever. This fastball is unbelievable. Um I don't remember what is – I want to say it's a slider. I think it is a slider. It is a slider. Also very good pitch. But yes. I think that the change-up projection for me, we go to a guy like Albert Abreu. I see a lot of it because of that arm speed and where it's coming out of. Acevedo from that arm slot, I don't think I see enough of it. And that's probably where I, I resort to saying he's a bullpen arm. Do you agree, Ralph? Yeah, I think he's a bullpen arm. I think he'd be a very good bullpen oh, arm. Very but good. I, I don't think Absolutely. he's a starter. I, I'm always sort of shocked that he – 
throws as many innings as he as he does in a in a consistent basis. Yeah, one hundred thirty innings last year. His so. walk rate isn't like fifteen percent, which is no, what I think it would it's, be. It's not bad at all. If anything, he he throws too much in the zone. Yeah. So that's why I think there is maybe like a twenty percent chance that he could yeah. end up a starter long term, is because maybe he's just built to eat those innings, and you know maybe it's not in the Yankees organization. He gets moved, you know, as trade bait the deadline when they need to find some reinforcements or fill in a spot in the, in the major league roster. Maybe Acevedo gets moved to the right organization, needs him, uh, needs controlled pitching, and they say, "Hey, this guy's big. He's got a big fastball. He's got a good, good uh, uh, changeup and a developing breaking ball that at times, fat, you know, flashes plus. Let's give him a ride and see what happens. And who knows? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean." I think it just depends on where he is. If he's with the Yankees, he probably ends up a, a, a bullpen arm because that's ultimately where they're probably going to have an opportunity to bring him up. But then again, their pen's a lot more stacked than their rotation. Yeah, so maybe he actually does end up starting for him. That's I don't know. Point. I mean, I don't think there's a lot you could say about Acevedo. Throws hard, good changeup, you know, misses some bats, and he's a big guy. You know, like, he's very big. Other than that, I don't think, I don't think he's – I don't think he's overly exciting for a guy that throws as hard as he does. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I think the fastball is, is is plus already, and I think that it can end up being plus plus. He misses bats too. Yeah, and he misses. It's bats, funny, like just, everything I, we're saying. Never get excited about him. Everything we're saying around him leads you to think that he's a much better prospect. I think than he is perceived as. I would say maybe not. He is. The Yankee system is so deep. You put Domingo Acevedo on a team like the Royals, and he's probably number two behind Prado, honestly, or something like that. Like, it, it, the Yankee system is just so deep. We're getting into guys here that were just like, like, what are they going to do with them? Like, honestly, high level, stepping back for a second, Ralph. Like, the fact that they have all these guys, like, I, it's kind of insane to me. Like, their contention window, the Yankees' major league team, is is going to be extended pretty far because of the youth they have and because of these kind of upper minors guys they have, like Andujar and Enchance Adam and Gleber Torres, to the point where I think they're going to contend for, like, four years, five years, six years. And you look back, back into that kind of window. And I, I, I would be kind of, I wouldn't be stunned if some of these guys, they just don't have spots for it. like this happened with Tyler Austin. You almost feel it happening with a guy like Tyler Wade too, who are back half of these guys it really uh, is. back half yeah. of the list here. We're going to eventually kind of tinker with a little bit, but I, high level. Do you think that to some extent for the fantasy game, particularly having this many prospects on a system on a team that is competing right now and is, is very good at the major level. Do you think it's a detriment to anyone's value overall? Does it hurt the top end guys? Does it hurt the mid tier guys? Just kind of, I don't know. I was interested in your thoughts. I meant to ask you this earlier, but I can ask you now. I think, I think it builds up the top end guys because they're constantly uh, bandied about as potential bait when the major league team needs a piece, like a starter or whatever. I think it builds up those guys' value, especially if they're exciting, like a Glaber or somebody like that, right? Think about how often we heard him in trade rumors this offseason, especially true. early on. Um, the other part of I think that it actually devalues guys like Tyler Wade, Austin, you know, some of these other guys that are in the system, maybe even like somebody like Billy McKinney, who I don't love, but you know he's hit pretty well over the last year, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in a few different places. So it's it's tough to knock him too. But I think ultimately it's guys like that that get devalued. Some of these arms as well. Some of these relievers that have come to the Yankees that we sort of forget. Like oh yeah, like I said before, they, that guy came from the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those guys get devalued because they get lost in the shuffle because other guys are getting the hype plus. At the major league level, there's a lot of players that are looked at as dispensable. And, you know, in 
smaller market organizations, they need those guys to come up and, you know, when given opportunities, provide production. And uh, I don't think that happens in New York because you just, if anything, they're up for a week or two to fill in, you know, until they trade for somebody mm-hmm. or somebody comes back from DL. It's it's tough unless you are a big prospect and do it right away to hold down a job. I mean, a year ago, nobody thought Aaron Judge was was a surefire everyday nope. right fielder for the Yankees. And it's because there's a, there's a tepidation in these big markets to go with a kid right out of the jump. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I think that's well said, honestly. Um, jump into 10 and 11 on your list now. Two J2 guys, so probably not too much to dig into here. I'm going oh, to butcher no. both of their names terribly, so let's try this. Everson. What is that? I'm going to try, and then you correct me. Everson Perea and Rhyme for Salinas. I think I got the second one. Yeah, so I would say it uh, Everson Pereira. Pereira. He's, uh, okay, got it. I was mixing up all the vowels. Yeah. Because he's, he's Brazilian. Ah, there you go. Nice. You know, so uh, that that would be uh, one of the reasons it's Pereira because it's Portuguese. Uh, and then the other one is uh, he's a Venezuelan and that's Ramfer Salinas. And I talked a little bit about Ramfer Salinas with uh, Ben Badler as well as Pereira. He thinks Pereira is incredibly polished, very good uh, talent. He's only 16, but f- potential five tool stud, uh, more of a speed contact guy right now. Yep. Polished could develop some power. Uh, Salinas's raw projectability big tools, but not a lot of baseball skills right now. And honestly, if you want to move on and say what you want to say about Tyler Austin, I, I, there's nothing else we could say about no, these guys. Because we haven't seen them in North yep. America. They're 16 and 17 years old. You're spot on with the, the <laughs> Yeah, the tape I saw. We don't even have driver's licenses. <laughs> no, they're both, yeah, they're both J2 guys from 2017. Yeah, exactly what you're saying is what I noticed with them. I thought that uh, per, Pereira, Pereira, I don't know how to say it. Um, terrible with Portuguese Pereira. names. Bro. Pereira, there it is. Pereira, Pereira. Yeah, it was a little bit more of a contact swing, just from what I was watching on the tape. Very weird angle, low grade quality on the video, whatever. But and the same thing with Salinas too. I thought he was a little bit more raw. I'd like to see him. He's a guy, you know, he had a ton of guys kind of going to right center in Yankee Stadium. I'd like to see him kind of close off and try to get to that path on his approach. Maybe projecting out a little bit too much because he's got to obviously still get the rookie ball, minor leagues, etc. But yeah, you know, long term, I think that's fun. Tyler Austin. Um, was it on the same day where him and Judge hit their first home runs? Was it? I'm trying to think back to that. Yeah, I remember, it was. I think it was back to back. Was it back to back? Yeah, I remember seeing that, or or I don't know if I was somewhere when I remember that, but uh, that was pretty crazy. And I think that as we talked about a little bit earlier in this podcast, the hype for Tyler Austin went up a ton when that happened, and the hype for Judge was kind of yeah building at that point when we saw him kind of putting everything together overall. With his his strikeouts were insanely high, but you know his OBP was up, and even in the spring he killed it. Um, Tyler Austin's a little bit kind of different. He doesn't obviously have the same power as Judge, but the strikeouts are in the same vicinity, and that is overall probably relatively an issue, I think, with him and projecting him out and maybe accepting him as kind of an option for the Yankees long-term in any extent. I feel like he is probably one of the key trade baits here, and I know maybe there's a lot of first basemen out there, but I, I feel like there's a lot of teams Tyler Austin could go to and be an everyday guy, maybe a maybe more of a 130 game guy where he's platooning with someone else just for rest or whatever. Cause he can't play every day or whatever, but like the Mets, like the Mets. Yeah. But they got Aegon and Dom Smith. Oh, <laughs> I want to, I want to make one correction to uh, yeah. Pereira is actually not, uh, not Brazilian. He's Venezuelan. So uh, correction there. I'm an idiot, but anyway, <laughs> I totally agree with you on Austin. There's power here, a little bit of contact ability. Uh, he was highly drafted. I think when he, 
initially came into pro ball might have been a former first rounder or a supplemental first rounder if i'm not mistaken have you'd have to check his his fan page and tell me if i'm crazy or not on that one but yeah i mean I, I i like the swing i think there's some power i could also see him being a quad a guy but he sort of teeters on that edge but yeah i think if he went to a small market team and got you know every day at bats he could be pretty decent um, you know, CJ Cron gets every day at bats. I don't think Tyler Austin's all that different, right? I no, mean, I agree with you that, get yeah. off a little bit of power and sort of the same stuff. It's just a matter of him staying healthy and, uh, you know, putting it all together. But yeah, I mean, I think as we sort of go down the rest of this list, we don't have anybody who's uh, a superstar in terms of, you know, what their, their upside is. It's more, you know, maybe pretty good everyday players at best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did want to mention, so when we get, when we get major league samples of guys like this, I like looking into the stats a little bit and seeing if there's anything that's interesting. What stood out to me on Tyler Austin. So we have like, if you look at pull center and apple standard distribution, if you just do median on fan graphs for qualified hitters last year, it's, it's right around 40% pull, 35% center, 25% oppo. So applying that to what Tyler Austin did actually I almost think he has like an, an over-aggressive inside-out approach. He was actually 50% to center and 32% the other way in AAA. And I know maybe that's not tracked the best, but I have a little bit more confidence in it because it is AAA, so it's a little bit higher profile, more more eyes on it, et cetera. But I thought that was pretty interesting when I was looking at that. And you kind of notice this in his swing. Um, I don't know if it's over-aggressive to left-center for him because he's a lefty, so it would be to left-center and center. But uh, I think I like that overall developmentally. I'm a little bit concerned with that, though, and how that eventually then gets back to him striking out so much because if he's staying inside the ball so well, is that a vision problem with him not being able to recognize breaking balls? Usually when you see guys who are staying kind of right, left-center or right-center, depending on your handness of the hitter. We saw this with Chris Bryant at the beginning of last year. He stayed inside the ball. There was a clear, clear distinction in his batted ball data to the right-center, and his strikeout rate went down again, and it was more of an approach thing for him, where it was he was doing that intentionally to kind of see the ball deeper in the zone and put the ball the other way, and then he reverted back and was had a fantastic second half. But with Austin, I'm a little bit concerned because the strikeout rate didn't go down when he did that, so... It's kind of a weird combination of two things I don't think you see a lot, but I thought it would be interesting to bring that up. But uh, Austin was drafted 10th round, is it? 13th round of 2010 draft out of a Heritage High School in Georgia. So uh, I don't think he was highly drafted, actually. Um, it looks like he signed no. out of there, too. So. All right. Interesting. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, maybe no, 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 maybe he was built up as a prospect a while back. All yeah, right. Well, I'm a dope. I'm a dope. Leatherford style. Yeah, and I mean, that's the other thing, too. I feel like we could do a whole podcast on the guys that were traded out of this system. Rutherford and all these other guys. Like, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah, back half of the list here. We have Austin at 12 for you, Ralph. We'll just run through the rest and then maybe pick out the guys we like here. Matt Sauer, right-handed pitcher at 13. Fresia Perez, I'm going to try that name there. Right-handed pitcher, number 14. Dylan Tate, he's a name that I kind of remember seeing from the Rangers and a lot of other teams. It's, he's an interesting one to dig into. I want to dig into him a little bit, little bit. Right-handed pitcher. Clark Schmidt, I actually like a lot. We'll get, in, get into him in a sec. Juan Fan at 17. Tyler Wade at 18. Billy McKinney at 19. Domingo Herman at 20. Uh, which of these guys do you kind of want to dig into? I have two in mind, Ralph. Uh, why don't we get into, we gotta get into Schmidt. I agree. Yeah. Schmidt's I want to hear, I want to hear your take on Tate. I, by the way, yeah. I think, I think sour is, is really nice. I'll talk about him yep. really quickly. Uh, mixes a really good fastball sits low to mid nineties slider curveball, Good change up California prep kid, uh, signed for 2.5 million. I think they took Schmidt. Because they knew they could sign him under Schlott, under Schlott, Schmidt Schlott, Schmidt Schlott, under Schlott, so they could get Matt Sauer. 
Uh, I like. I think the combination is really, really good. Um, his arm actually a little funky. It's almost like a crossfire kind of a thing. So there's some concerns about his delivery, a little bit of a head whack as well. So hopefully he can he can fix some of that stuff, tighten it up a little bit. But I think the stuff is there. I don't know if there's anything you want to say on Sour. If you want to jump into Schmidt, yeah, Sour. I, I echo everything you say. I actually think that his delivery is one where he will have a little bit of trouble from wind up to stretch because it's slowed down a little bit almost. And you're saying he's kind of crossbody with the head whacking. I think that's spot on. Um, I, he can't do that from the stretch because he's going to be taking too long. There's a guy like Noah Syndergaard who gets run on a ton, much simpler delivery, but in theory, it's kind of the same thing where I, I don't know kind of what they're going to do with him to get him up to pace a little bit more overall on how he's throwing and get that synced up. But, uh, He's, he's really interesting overall, though. I think that's the only knock in him. I think everything else is really polished with him. I agree with you on Sour. You have him 13-right-handed pitcher. Dylan Tate, really interesting guy. Um, he's really, really, really athletic. But he the biggest thing is he's 23, and he hasn't broken 100 innings, I don't believe, in a year. That's, that's a, a massive red flag for me. This is why you have him this low on this list. At the end of the day, can he become a reliever? I think he might. The guy, actually, I want to compliment to is Trevor Bauer and how he throws. Um... The thing I actually have in my notes on Dylan Tate is that he kind of throws like he's 6'4", but he's not 6'4". It's just kind of where his arm slot goes and how he, his posture on the mound makes me feel like he's a lot taller than he is and how he throws. And I actually almost want to suggest, I'd be really interested to see them bring his arm slot down a little bit and see if they could get him a little bit lower than how high he's thrown right now. He's a little bit, I think, high three quarters overall. He's got a, a really high glove hand which I think might be obviously a little bit inefficient. You often hear you want to be linear to the plate. This is the thing like Clayton Kershaw is, is a really good example. If you slow him down from, from the first base to the third base side, you see his glove hand goes up and he pulls down really hard with that to generate kind of rotation and some counter rotation going. But what he does really well is even with that glove hand going up, he's going towards the plate. He's not going above the plate where his shoulders are a direct line to the catcher. It's not going up into like the back of the screen. And that's kind of what I think maybe is one of the problems with Tate. He's got a lot of things that are in that delivery that can be a detriment to how his control is at the end of the day. And that's the biggest thing is his strikeouts have dropped and his controls wavered a lot and they're massive red flags overall. And it's interesting because he was really highly touted in the past, I believe. And he was a guy yes. I think everyone was really excited in New York back. He was one of like the first kind of guys I almost feel like they got, Ralph, to kind of start rebuilding, I guess, overall. I wouldn't consider him like the first of the rebuild, but he was one of like the original guys where everyone was like, Yankees having a farm system, look at Dylan Tate. Oh, Dylan Tate, okay, well, there's an interesting kind of pitcher. Maybe he eventually becomes a, a number four or five, gives us something to kind of fall back on as a Yankee fan. But uh, but that's my kind of thoughts on Tate overall. Um, I think it's inefficient overall. I think they got to tinker with him, but... I, I reserve a very small piece of confidence because of how athletic he is. So I think that's what I'll yeah. close on with Tate. And I think, I think it'll end up being a, a closer or something like yeah, that. So, and then the other guys I want to mention, uh, Frasier from Perez, really big, tall right-hander, a lot like Dylan Batances, throws hard, good, good change up, breaking balls are crap, funky mechanics, probably a reliever. I don't think we have to say anything more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Juan Thin is pretty interesting. He's a young projectable star with the Yanks. Good guy to draft. If you're in these deep dynasty leagues, he'll build up some of that Yankees momentum, some of that Yankees hype, and you could trade him off. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to mention, you said you wanted to talk about Schmidt and then who was the other one? Uh, Wade. Yeah, I could talk about Wade. We can talk about the other guys. I, I did want to bring up Schmidt. Cause I, I actually really like Schmidt. 
pitching out of the SEC. He was one of the better pitchers in the SEC, which is a pretty strong conference. And I liked him a lot coming out of the draft. I remember him getting drafted. He obviously went down. Tommy John, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. But he was a first-rounder, mid-first-rounder, really projectable in everything he was doing. He had two breaking balls, which I think were kind of blending together from some of the scouting reports I read. So he's probably going to veer towards one of those. But he's a guy who... I, I want to kick this back to the Marlins list, actually, with a guy like Braxton Garrett, who went down with Tommy John, who I like a lot just because of how athletic he was and where the projection was with all his pitches. Um, it's kind of the same with Clark Schmidt for me, where we don't really know what he's going to return when he or what he's going to be like when he comes back from Tommy John. But because he was so good before it and he was a polished prep arm, or excuse me, not prep arm, college arm, he probably was going to run through the system pretty quick. He's going to path like a Nola or Rondon where he's going to fly through maybe two years in the minor leagues. And then next thing you know, he's 25. He's in the major leagues against Mannings. So that isn't lost to me. I think when you look at guys who go down with Tommy John and the success rate's gotten so much better with it, I become even a little more confident over the years and buying into a guy like this and just putting a couple feelers out here for a guy like Clark Schmidt in leagues and deep dynasty leagues. And this only league that we're in rough, I'm probably going to queue him up, you know, later in the draft and just be like, you know, I'll sit on him and see, I don't mind yeah. if this year's kind of a year Why of not? rebuild, but you know, if he rebuilds well and we see what we saw when he was pitching the sec and dominating, he was a lower three quarters guy, you know, almost full sidearm to some extent. And he's got really nice drop and drive where he was going with his back leg, which I, I doubt would be affected a lot by him trying to take some weight off the arm and pressure off the arm. Um, I like Kirk Schmidt a lot. I have to say, I'd probably have him. I don't know why, but I'd probably have him a little bit higher. Probably maybe put him above like, it's tough to put him above sour. I, I'd probably reorganize a little bit and maybe bring down the two J2 guys, just cause I know you, you always like the J2 guys and I'm always a little bit more. I, I just J2 have such problems. Yes. I have so much problems with projecting out the international guys. I bring this up all the time. I always struggle with it. So it's <laughs> tough. It's just tough for me, but, uh, yeah, I, I like Clark Schmidt a lot. They're the guys I like to gamble on because they're yeah. the ones that you hit home runs with. It, oh, absolutely, absolutely. If any of these guys, I mean, like we've seen Celine, we've seen we've seen uh, Dermis Garcia put on a lot of weight, and next thing you know, he's in the top ten. Like it's, they grow, they develop. As as I know, you talked to Ben Balor a lot about. So, um, yeah. yeah, Juan then at seventeen, Tyler Wade at eighteen, Billy McKinney nineteen, Domingo Herman yeah. uh, twenty. No one's super no one really jumps out to me there. Juan Thane, as you mentioned, is probably interesting. A little bit younger. Can kind of blow up if everything clicks. He can end up being like a Medina I, kind of guy. But I think Medina's substantially I, better. So, I wish Tyler Wade could just get an opportunity somewhere. Because he, he yeah. can hit. He's got a little pop. And he definitely has the ability to steal 20 bags. Yeah. He plays different positions in the infield. It just it sucks that he's a New York Yankees prospect because it's if so he was like in the, in the race system, he would be the bridge between like a uh, like whoever it was and like a, like Adamas or whatever. Yeah. Play a little second, and they wouldn't have to chase after Brad Miller. Uh, I, I wish that they would trade Tyler Wade to yeah. trade Tyler Wade. It's a song we could write a whole song about <laughs> it. You get you know Kenny to do artwork for it. Let's just Hashtag get TTW. Tyler Wade. Yeah, get Tyler Wade free. It's just it's nuts because they're never gonna play him. No, right? They had a perfect it's not, opportunity. Like, where? Where's he going? Break. Yeah, right. He's he's hit everywhere he's been. They needed a middle infielder if they didn't want to go with Glaber or or uh, and Duhar at a camp. And they went and they traded and signed for guys. So what's the point? You know, just get rid of Wade. Yeah. Last question that's, I want to ask you to close out. Yeah. Speaking right. of this, like it connects to what you're saying with Wade. What would if they still had Jorge Mateo? Where the heck would he play, and where would you think would he would fall on a list like this, Ralph? It's really probably, tough because we've seen him really good in spring. Field. 
Yeah, Probably right. Center field. Get Hicks. They got Hicks as their center fielder right now. And I mean, he can play the position. It's fine. But I think I think they would ultimately develop uh, Teo as a center fielder. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's out of out of the question he could be developed as a center fielder uh, within you know the Oakland organization eventually. That's true. Yeah, they got Austin Beck there. That's an interesting system. They got a lot of interesting pieces because Barreto well, can eventually move to third. Barreto's probably second. Out. I think yeah, second, excuse second, me. That's a good point. Yep, yep. Third, you got Matt Chapman. He ain't moving. Yeah, he's not moving. And then point. you got uh, Marcus Simeon, who I believe is still under team control for a couple of years. Yeah. So, you know, they have no reason to move these guys along. And that segues nicely, Lance, to the end of the show here. I think we're going to be talking to Oakwood next week. Ah, I think we got to go. get Can I ask you one more question? Can I ask you one more question? Sure. Where would you put Clint Frazier on this list if he was still rookie eligible? Uh, That's a tough one, right? I, I was w- thinking about this a couple minutes ago. I would have Frazier uh, above Andujar. I think I, I would too. Yeah, below uh, Floreal. Yeah, because I just think I think Floreal's uh, ceiling is is just that much higher. Yeah, and um, we've seen more production. I think at a sustained longer level from Floreal at a younger age than we saw from yep. Frazier, where he's had streaks and never necessarily put it all together. And there's a, still a little bit of a hitch in Frazier's swing, but ultimately, I think the bat speed and the ability is just there. He's just a great athlete, uh, and I do like the swing. Ultimately, I think he's very strong, um, and he, man, he just he, he's got pop, some oomph when he gets a hold of it. So, I think Frazier for me is is three with a case to be number two after Glaber, yeah. but he's certainly yeah. not better than Glaber. But I think. Labor's floor plus ceiling, that combination is why he's number one. Agreed. I think that it was more a matter of like where you had Floreal in your head next to Frazier, so sure. I wanted to pick your brain on that. But yeah, send us off, Ralph. I think we're good here. Good timing. All right. Ralph Lifshitz, Prospect Jesus on Twitter. Lance, where I'm can Lance. the people find you on at, Twitter? <laughs> at Lance Brozdo, B-R-O-Z-D-O-W. Follow me. I aggregate all my stuff there. Ralph, you're writing a couple times a week, I think. Your top 100 yeah. list is coming out soon. Which we're really excited it for. Is. We're hopefully, trying to do like a hopefully Sunday, Sunday, and it, we're going to try to do like a two-part hopefully. pod where we're tinkering with because we want to maybe just do one to fifty and fifty to one hundred. I think that'd be smarter. Yeah, because I kind of want to dig into some of the guys. Like I know we're going to go. I mean, obviously we tinker with them on these lists, but I think it's more interesting to debate cross lists. This is going to be where it's interesting to me. So keep an eye out. Roswell.com. Check it out. Take it easy, everybody. Peace. Privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232.